everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Drunk Friend Podcast. As always, we're your host. I'm Trav. That's Alex. We do YouTube stuff. We're the 90s ass podcast. We do we do all kinds of stuff around here, Alex. Uh, mm. This time we're doing 1992. You know, out of the gate last time I came in with my EMF. Unbelievable. But for 1992, I got to say pretty believable. <laughs> Overall, yeah. Uh, it wasn't as surreal uh, <laughs> as as 1991, I suppose. Um, you want to just jump right into it again? Let's just do it, man. Head head first yeah. dive into the 92. Yeah, yeah. Let's just do it. When we think 91, we think of all the great music that came out uh, that we went over already. Uh, what's interesting is when you start looking at albums released in 1992, you start seeing like an old guy re- revival a bit. Like Neil Young had a new album, mm-hmm. and it was actually good. Yeah, uh, that would be Harvest Moon. Um, I remember shortly after that, he started jamming and touring with Pearl Jam, which was really cool. Uh, yeah. My dad loves Neil Young, and he got a big kick out of that. Um, he loves Neil Young with Crazy Horse in particular. But does your dad puts around but, um, singing "Old Man Look at My Life"? Does he? Oh is yeah, that a big one? he yeah. he he loves uh, his live shows. He he. Uh, I remember one time I had to stop by. This is after I moved out, and my dad had been retired for like a couple of years, and I I had to stop by to drop something off or pick something up. I I'm waiting at the front door after I ring the doorbell, and all I hear is just guitar feedback and Neil Young talking to the crowd, and it's like, oh yeah, my dad's rocking out in here to Neil Young and Crazy <laughs> Horse. It's like, oh man, that guy's living it up. Oh, that's. But awesome. in addition to that, we also had uh, a shout out to our our friend Caleb. Uh, Tom Waits' <laughs> yeah. Bone Machine, Dude. which is arguably the best Tom Waits album. That's that you'd have to have a hell of an argument because he has so much good stuff. But Bone Machine is really, really good. And it's ironic because Caleb's nickname is Bone Machine, so it's it's just <laughs> such a fitting match for the two. Caleb Bone Machine Ross, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's him. Um, and then uh, we, in addition to all that, we had Eric Clapton do his Unplugged show. Uh, which won all sorts of awards and stuff like that. So, like, when you think of, like, three of the biggest albums of 92, it's, like, three old guys. I thought that was kind of in- an interesting contrast to the previous year. Yeah, you're right. I didn't uh, I didn't really even think about that at all. I was When I was thinking in 92, I was thinking of all the hot singles that came out. I was thinking of mm. all the posters that my sister would put on the wall <laughs> of hair bands that were kind of getting phased out around that time. But my sister clung to those hair bands, man. She... In 1992, oh, yeah. that was the year that she went to see. We talked about Firehouse last episode. Uh, she went to see them open for Warrant, and she <laughs> she bought a uh, "She's My Cherry Pie" T-shirt that stayed in our house long past my sister's time there, and became just like a workout shirt for me, which was which was strange, but <laughs> it worked. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Do you still have it? No, it tattered. I wish I would have. Oh. I wish I would have treated it with a little bit more respect, but <laughs> I didn't care at the time. But now well, I'm more, like, man, that was a cool at, gift. At least a little more respect than people treat Warrant these days. I know, I know. Uh, they get they, uh, you know, they're they're pretty much a, a running gag at this point. I know. And some of their ridiculous songs. They, I mean, a lot of their songs are ridiculous, but man, dirty. What is it? Dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking, rich. That was a that was a great. I'm gonna say cassette tape because that's how I jammed on. That's a great tape. Yeah, my sister had that too. Yeah, man. Um, she yeah, she was uh going to uh, college at this point, so I didn't see her very often. But when I did at that point, uh, yeah, she was all about Def Leppard, all about Warren Slaughter, 
up all night sleep all day mm. that song yep um all that good stuff uh the the Def Leppard song I remember in particular uh speaking of hair bands was uh I'll be two steps behind you. <laughs> that song gets in my head all the freaking time to this day Whatever you do, I'll be too behind you. Oh gosh, dude, you're you're nailing it. It's it sounds like your millhouse trying to do a Cartman, and it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys, I'm only two steps behind you. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, that song to this day is so catchy, it gets lodged in my head for hours and hours. Um that was uh I want to say that song was on a soundtrack, a movie soundtrack, and it really didn't belong. I think it was on the Last Action Hero soundtrack, I want to say. But that movie came out the next year. Because mm. uh, that's I remember, how I remember hearing it, because my brother had that soundtrack. So he played that song all the freaking time. That's a next episode problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that movie. It's one, an all-time favorite. <laughs> did you... Were you... Were you did you... Uh, uh, fall into the achy breaky heart oh my god uh, line dancing craze at the time now you know as a little i would have been mostly six turning seven in 1992 as a little bumpkin where the mullet reigned supreme and tank tops mm. were just what you wore to church you damn right i was <laughs> i was boot scooting and boogieing to that achy breaky heart all around the neighborhood that was a huge deal my, yeah. my dad loved it my mom loved it that thing I don't think there's been a song that has brought generations together more than achy breaky freaking heart. Yeah, and uh, the mullet that that guy had is a solid nine out of ten. If, oh, yeah. if ten out of ten is Yaramir Yager at around this time, <laughs> then uh, nine out of ten is probably uh, Billy Ray Cyrus at the at the time that song came out. I remember we had to do our gym class like, you know, like oh, let's make gym class fun and do line dancing exercises to this crappy song. And of course, we were forced to hear it and of course, us being I would have been in 4th grade, 10 years old, we changed the lyrics to don't smell my fart, oh, of course. my achy breaky fart, yep. you know, natural evolution. And of course, that was hysterically funny to all of us it's still uh, it's still not i mean it's pretty funny still i mean it, it holds yeah, up that's yeah. a good that's a good I, joke. achy breaky fart it just works like, <laughs> it, uh, it, it just works like you can you can kind of empathize a bit with an achy breaky fart we've all had one <laughs> or another right so I, I think it works yeah we've all been kept up uh in the wee hours due to that but yeah that was a good time <laughs> that was a good time and, and you know in this time period this would have been around the time my sister was moving out and i was stuck with my I say stuck with my parents like I hated them, but they were like, you know, they were upper 40s and I was five or six. So big generational yeah. gap. But I ended up having to listen to what they listened to a lot of the time. And country music was kind of the only thing that I could sample when I was, you know, listening to the radio with my dad or when I was hanging out with my mom. And so I got way more of that than I did the good rock that came out in 92. Like I didn't catch up on. Like Alice in Chains, Dirt, or Rage Against the Machine until years later when I could make more of my mm -hmm. own decisions about what went into my head. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I had to go backward to get that great 1992 angsty ass rock. Yeah, and there, I don't, I'm not sure there's a more depressing album from that era than Dirt by Alice in Chains. It is so bleak and just depressing sounding. Like, forget the lyrics, just like 
pick out any five second section of anywhere on that album and it's just like so freaking depressing and sad but it fit the time and uh it i definitely loved it in junior high um it's still probably my favorite alice in chains album i was never a big rage against the machine guy but i do i would i will give them all the credit for being something completely different and for being uh fucking loud as hell and aggressive and putting on some amazing live shows for sure yeah i i never really got into them like album by album but their hits always stuck with me like their anything they hit the radio from them was always super duper catchy and to this day yeah. it's still super duper catchy but no i never really yeah. dug deep into the library um and i know you're a big faith no more guy and this is yeah big time um that was that was a weird album uh angel dust was what came out and that's what ended up separating that band from being a one-hit wonder because uh, they were known for uh, Epic. The mm-hmm. you want it all, but you can't have it. That song. Yeah. And uh, they did something completely different with Angel Dust, so I always respected them for that. And it's a fun album, a lot of crazy uh, songs on that one, too. We also had Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. I, core. I wanted to quickly comment that your your Mike Patton right there sounded like Pat Summerall trying to be a ghost. And so <laughs> you're, I like how you, you fuse together a lot of your different characters uh, to form these new ones. <laughs> I can only do I can only do like three voices. <laughs> Flag on the play if you can have it down yes. at the 40. Yes. Oh, that's exactly what I wanted. Hey, but that CD <laughs> had Summer All Singing Faith No More. <laughs> that CD had uh, Midlife Crisis on it. That's that's pretty fun. Yes, that's my favorite Faith No More song. Yeah, that song kicks ass. Right on, man. Um, and then Core, like you just mentioned STP. Yeah. And it was really funny at the time because um, they were seen from day one. I remember um, Saturday night, watching Saturday Night Live reruns. David Spade had a bit that was like, hey, there's a new band on the scene uh, called Stone Temple Pilots. You know, I liked them better the first time when they were called Pearl Jam. <laughs> So yeah, there there was a lot of like resentment towards Stone Temple Pilots at the time because they they were seen as uh kind of fake, you know, like hangers on. Mm -hmm. But Core is a good album. It's got some good songs. Yeah, it's got that sex type um, thing sung on there that has that like. I don't know, like Jimmy Stewart. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's that's true. I don't know why we like shit like that, but it still it sticks with me. My generation is just has imprinted on that sound of dudes just barely trying to sing, but it worked. Yeah, it worked. Uh, And and then Prince, um, you know, he had a bit of a. We talked about midlife crisis. He he freaking changed his name into a symbol in 1992. That's right. Yeah, and nobody knew what the hell to make of that. It was just like, okay, uh, like how do we send a mail? Uh, can you can you do that? <laughs> I mean, I, Prince, I want to send you a, a a copy of uh you know something a, a video game I'm playing. How can I mail it to you? Yeah. You know, how was that gonna you work? You learn how to draw, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, that was weird. And um, didn't didn't he live in your hometown? Did you ever see him riding around on his bike? No, he lived out uh, in the uh, west side, like in Minnetonka, mm. like west of Minneapolis. Um, he has his like, or he had his like compound out there. Is a huge mansion that I think is now open as like a museum of sorts for all his stuff that he did throughout his career. Like you can pay tickets and get a tour of his place and see all the the stuff he had. And oh, he wrote this song on this piano and blah blah blah. Oh, cool. But but yeah. 
but yeah, I we do need to uh, mention some other just just a quick mention on some of the other uh, major things at the time for music. Doctor Dre, the, the Chronic, oh, came out gosh. in nineteen ninety two, which which changed everything. Uh, made West Coast rap like this massive deal. You also had Mary J. Blige, what's the four one one, and Beastie Boys, check your head. Like those two, those three albums really stuck out to me. I'm not a big rap guy, but those three. If there was a song from either of those, any of those uh, artists, I was going to stick around and listen or watch if it was MTV. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time for sure. So we we basically ran right through music. Um, Yeah. Do you want to run right into movies? Movies. So the Best Picture winner for 1992 was Unforgiven, and that is the Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman kind of western throwback movie. Uh, have you seen that? I haven't, and I've been given guff uh for that by several of my friends, but maybe we'll put it in the DVD bin with Doug. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. It's it's worth seeing. Um it's got some of my favorite lines that I repeat uh, all the time. Like deserves got nothing to do with it. Mm. Like that's one of my favorites that I uh I love. Uh Morgan Freeman's in it. It's a really good movie. Really uh fantastic like classic western structure um good stuff there was also in 92 a few good men yeah can't handle the truth track i can't i I really can't like please butter me up don't don't give me the truth (laughs) that was another big deal at the time uh i think it was nominated for best picture but that was one of those movies that had like this insane cast you had tom cruise to me more uh jack nicholson kevin bacon uh some other people i'm forgetting but yeah, that was that movie was a big. I think Kiefer Sutherland was in it too. But mm. that was a big deal. Um, and of course, Wayne's World. Wayne's I saw that movie World. in the theaters. I absolutely loved it. The SNL sketches of Wayne's World were were excellent. Party on, excellent. <laughs> but yeah, that's I loved everything about it. anything Dana Carvey did was was solid gold to me. Video games uh, based on that movie were terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Oh, th- so bad. They were aggressively bad. So yeah. bad. They were really bad. Yeah. Ironically, not even so bad they were funny, given that it was a funny movie. They were just bad. <laughs> Straight bad. Yeah. Uh, a movie that should have gotten a video game and didn't. My Cousin Vinny. Huh? Fucking <laughs> movie right. rules. I love that movie. Yeah. That's my favorite comedy, and I couldn't even really tell you why. It might be because it was on TBS like every day of my childhood, mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Damn, I love that movie, and uh, I had a huge crush on Marissa Tomei and probably Ralph Macchio as well. But you know, in looking up some information for this conversation we're going to have, Alex, I found out, and I didn't know this, this may be common knowledge, but Ralph Macchio is three years older than Marissa Tomei. So in that movie, when he's playing like the kid, he's he's apparently <laughs> supposed to be younger than her, but he's actually in real life three years older than Marissa Tomei. Oh, I did not know that. That's weird. It is wow. weird, Yeah. Yeah, he's only a few years removed from Karate Kid at that point. The dude's sixty so. right now, and I it blew my mind to see that. <laughs> I was like, "Holy shit! You were a ki- you were like the kid in most of the movies yeah. I watched in the in the early '90s and late '80s." But nah. yeah, not that sixty's like wow, super old, but like, goddamn, I didn't expect him to be that old. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, he's sixty, Jesus. Yeah, which would have yeah, ma- made him years. thirty-two in My Cousin Vinny, but he's playing a teenager. <laughs> Wow, Man, nuts! That's almost as bad as uh, Beverly Hills 90210 when they had uh, the character of Andrea 
um, is played by a 36-year-old woman, and she's supposed to be a high school senior. <laughs> <laughs> it's just pathetic, but not nothing against the actress. She was great, but you can't have 36-year-olds playing teenagers. It's absurd. That's my issue with the most movies that have teens in them. It's like, nah, that yeah. dude's 27, like, for sure, easily yeah. 27. Yeah. Like, if, all you got to do is um, uh, we, we live kind of by a, a high school. Sometimes I have to drive by there. Uh, to get to the grocery store and you ever want to see like actual teenagers they look like overgrown 12 year olds basically <laughs> like they're all gangly yeah. and awkward yeah. and weird and bad acne and bad haircuts mm-hmm. and you know they're like these big gangly kids with like baby faces it's like yeah that's what teenagers like or that's what teenagers look like and that's why they're not in movies because they look so freaking weird it's it's crazy i, I rewatched uh friday the 13th part two last night and i had that same observation where i was like every damn one of these actors are at least 30 i do not buy (laughs) for a second that they're you know teenagers not even 25 they're they're adult people but that's just the way it goes then you know you said that you saw wayne's world in the theater i saw aladdin in the theater because i was a little bit younger than you and what a banger that was yeah, and that holds up pretty well, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just entertainment and humor and stuff like that. I think it's good. Yeah, uh, Robin Williams at his Robin Williams. <laughs> yes, it lives uh, on to this day. My daughter is in love with uh, the Princess Jasmine, oh, so we have tons of. That's awesome. I step on tons of Jasmine figures walking through my house. So <laughs> Aladdin lives on. Now, uh, also in '92, have you seen Single White Female? Uh, I've not. Uh, that is my girlfriend Pearl. That's one of her favorite horror movies and uh it really is uh horror from a woman's perspective that's unique to to uh women because this roommate moves in you know answers an ad in the paper and she ends up like copying every single thing this person does like she gets the same haircut she starts dressing the same and she starts like getting a little jealous about her boyfriends and stuff like that like we're best friends right like it's really creepy oh, and wow. yeah it's it's an excellent movie uh, it's uh, jane fonda and uh bridget or bridget fonda and uh, oh, uh, J- jennifer jason bridget Lee. fonda what did i say jane fonda <laughs> yeah but you know you're forgiven two two, two fondas <laughs> it's, it's got both bridget of them. fonda uh and uh jennifer jason lee yeah that that's a very good movie as is uh, on the other side of the spectrum, you've got uh, Universal Soldier mm-hmm. with uh, Pitt's uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme against Dolph Lundgren as cyborgs. At, I, I saw that when I was like 11 after it came out on VHS, and it was probably the most violent movie I'd ever seen in my life up to that point. It was just absurdly violent, like just body parts exploding, things exploding, blood everywhere, everybody's covered in blood lots of just chaos automatic weapons nothing makes sense so yeah i i have fond memories of that movie as well i almost commented like that that should have been a video game and then i scrolled down and apparently it was i did not know that universe i don't think it was for super nintendo well that was uh one of the things that i read here was a version of the game for the game boy was released uh well let me i'll, I'll backtrack because that is dangling on another uh piece but it says uh, super, uh, uh snes port was developed but never released but um this Ooh. this whole paragraph here says 
During conversion of the video game Turrican 2 to the Sega Genesis, the publishers, Accolade, decided to cash in on the hype surrounding the film and rebrand the game as a tie-in. The spaceship levels from the original were replaced with platforming levels set in a jungle, and the player sprite and some enemies were changed to look more human. The resulting product received mostly negative reviews compared to the critically acclaimed home computer release. And then it says a, a version of the game uh, was released for the Game Boy, which I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I'm going to have to look this up and see if this game is any good. Um, it does not look promising. <laughs> um, <laughs> from my first impressions, it does look like a crappy, um, tur blatant Turrican ripoff. Um, in fact, I don't see how this is different from Turrican. It might be the same freaking thing. Yeah, I guess, it, I mean, they were, during the port, they switched it over yeah. to, to just use the name. That's interesting. I did not know this was a thing. It's not. It's not super Turrican. It's, it's its own thing entirely. The sprites look great, but it's just so yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah I'll have to check out the Game Boy game too. And on a larger scale, I mean, we had some world events going on in 1992. The thing that sticks out to me the most would probably be the Bill Clinton election. Yes, being that I was a, a wee little guy, very very little of the news made it down to me, but I was pretty much aware of who was president. I remember watching the election, or what coverage of it there was back then, with my folks. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was a uh, probably my earliest political memory. Yeah. In retrospect, it's kind of interesting that a president running for re-election that had just won a war uh with operation desert storm or i'm sorry what was it operation sandblast <laughs> yeah. or whatever it's called yeah sandblast uh, he didn't win after despite that war which is very interesting to me i guess there was a pretty bad economic downturn in 91 uh he straight up lied about the no new taxes thing so, yeah, that uh, rubbed people the wrong way. I don't want to get too far into that because then we're going to get some angry emails about whatever. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Bill Clinton becoming a new president was was kind of a shocker and uh, kind of cool, uh, at least from my perspective, because my dad worked for the uh, U.S. government. So if a Democrat was in office, we got raises. Whoa. So I was very happy about that. Heck, yeah. Uh well in less good news I guess Hurricane Andrew he he stopped yeah. by that wasn't good that wasn't good just demolish South Florida I don't know about you but that was like one of the first it was this and the L A earthquakes that happened later on in the decade that like knocked down bridges and stuff like that mm -hmm. that those those are like the first big like weather catastrophes that I can remember that really stuck out i just remember the helicopter footage after hurricane andrew and everything is just flattened yeah it's just like everything looks like just a freaking junkyard and i'd never seen anything like that before it's, the fact that they were able to rebuild after that is is slightly insane yes and i i actually do have memories of seeing this on the news and not understanding why hurricanes had names and that was like i didn't understand the <laughs> magnitude of destruction that was just way beyond my comprehension but i was like so tell me What's its last name? Like, can we can we find its home and, like, mail it a letter, tell it to stop? Like, what's going on with this Andrew guy? Why is he doing this? Mail it a letter. Uh, P.O. Box uh, 32 to Hurricane Andrew Smith. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Johnson. Can we get a hold yeah. of him? If we can get his last yeah. name, we can unlock this, I'm pretty sure. Please stop and go back into the ocean. <laughs> go, we would much, it'd be much appreciated. Ocean stays in the ocean. Stop bringing it out here. And, yeah. and then yeah. there was uh, the L.A. riots in Rodney King uh, in 1992, which cannot be overlooked. Yeah. Uh, that was another thing. I don't know if you've seen the... Uh, 
documentary about O.J. Simpson that um, ESPN did. It was like a five-part thing. Mm-hmm. Fascinating watch that helps bring context in to the O.J. murders and why he was found not guilty and stuff like that. There's like the social atmosphere of the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they talk a lot about the L.A. riots and Rodney King and uh, how that played a part. You know, I-, I was way too young to understand what the heck was going on. People were getting pulled out of semi trucks, just like sitting there on the road, and yeah. getting crap beat out of them. Just insane. You know, it's it's easy to get carried away with like how things are now, but it's like you know, stuff happened before now too. It was pretty bad, right? So, like, yeah, this isn't anything recent. Like it's race relations have always been a major thing, especially in Los Angeles. Yes, yes, indeed. And I was a little too young to keep up with that or understand it at all at the time. And uh, really didn't get a good grip on it, I would say, embarrassingly, until that ESPN thing. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this is yeah. like I always knew the highlights of that story, but I had never really gathered in any of the details. It was eye opening, to say the very least. Yeah. Moving on from that, though, if we can, we got we got popular TV happening in the 90s. A lot of good stuff. Saturday Night Live was was getting hot. Yeah, it was. um, I know the running gag is that, you know, the cast, the the SNL cast that you think is the best is the one that was, you know, when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. And I find that hard to believe because if you grew up in like the, you know, if if you were 13 in like 1985, there's no way that's your favorite cast (laughs) because the show was pretty bad in, uh, in the early to mid 80s. And it was pretty bad in the late 90s, too. But um, in 92, oh, it is just like the absolute best show on TV, especially for me. I would videotape it every week. I would watch it all week after uh, after it recorded. Uh, Dana Carvey, I already talked about. He's uh, one of my comedy heroes. He's one of the funniest people ever. Phil Hartman, Chris Farley, Mike Myers, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, uh, Weekend Update with Kevin Nealon. I remember uh, one of my favorite bits, and I still think about this all the time, every Columbus Day, uh, Chris Rock, or no, yeah, it's it's Chris Rock goes on as like a special correspondent on Weekend Update, and he's, t- I guess uh, Arizona was a state, uh, was in the news for being a state that did not want to celebrate Martin Luther King Day as a national holiday. Chris Rock is like, you don't have to do anything, you just have to freaking not go to work. It's not like you have to like put like statues of the guy in your. It's like when we when we celebrate Columbus Day, we're not putting three ships in our front yard, you know, (laughs) or like going out on the water and whatever. It's like I always think of that every Columbus Day. I'm like, I got to get my three ships and put them out in the yard. (laughs) So it's it's a lot. So much of that SNL stuff. That's just one small example. So much of that show stuck with me over the years. Uh, Another one that I love another sketch that I love is that uh, uh, before Daryl Hammond did a great Bill Clinton, uh, Phil Hartman. Oh did Bill yeah. Clinton. Yeah. And he, the, before Monica Lewinsky, all the jokes about him were that he was fat. So it was all your classic, stupid fat jokes. And uh, you know, I'm 10 years old. I eat it all up like crazy because uh, there's one sketch where he's running with the secret service and he runs past a McDonald's. And he's trying to explain to these pe- to people in there that are asking him questions like, 
you know, what are you going to do about all the famine in uh, uh, Eastern Africa, like in Ethiopia and Somalia and stuff? And he's like, well, let's take your chicken McNugget, for example. <laughs> <laughs> let's take this. You know, it's trying to get to the people it needs to, but then it gets intercepted by warlords and he just chomps it and sh- shoves it in his mouth and just starts eating everybody's food. You mind if I wash that down? He like grabs someone's Coke and <laughs> it's really funny. I think of that sketch all the time, too. That's wild. I never actually thought of him as being a bigger guy, but I just looked up pictures yeah. of him from 1992, and he was, like, a little bigger. Not much, but... Yeah, he was kind of chubby, but that was kind of the running gag, is that he's just... I don't know why. In retrospect, it seems kind of weird, but... Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's not the... Uh, I don't know. My my image of him isn't as, as a fat guy, at least not... J- a, not one with enough punchlines to to get through, but anyway, I guess it worked in '92. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Saturday Night Live was was big. Home Improvement, that was a big show. Arr. Did you watch that at all? Do you oh, remember seeing it? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really like it that much, but uh, you know, it was really popular, so I would watch it if it was on, just to kind of feel like I was keeping up, I guess, with kids at school and stuff like that i guess right um one show i really liked was northern exposure i've never even heard of that you haven't heard of northern I exposure don't know. what's going on with northern exposure <laughs> sorry i i don't want to be one of those people that gets mad at somebody for not <laughs> knowing what something is i hate that how dare you it's like no nah, it's just it's just a fun little show uh that takes place in alaska um just an hour-long comedy drama dramedy type thing oh, okay just a lots of likable characters it was it was pretty harmless in the grand scheme of things i liked it um they showed a lot of reruns throughout the 90s too like during the day uh they'd usually show like walker texas ranger and then like uh northern exposure like right after it or something like that but yeah that's fine i liked it it was fine yeah because there's a uh, there's a uh, where well, i'm in virginia we don't have strip clubs but i live close enough to the border of west virginia that does and they're always advertising the strip clubs in west virginia and there's one that they always advertise called Southern Exposure. And the guy on the radio is like, come on down to Southern Exposure. And he really hits that, like he puts all three X's in there. So that's what I was thinking of. Uh, just makes you want to show up and then get depressed and then leave five minutes later. <laughs> yeah. I think I think for a lot of those uh, folks, I wouldn't mind just having the Northern part exposed, to be honest with you. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. You know, they're doing their best. Uh, and you know what was, you know, what was huge? Speaking of Southern exposure. Yes. Uh, Dunkaroos. Dunkaroos. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dunkaroos. Yeah, man. Major. 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 So what was your go-to? Like, which one? Because there was the vanilla one, there was the chocolate one. Yeah, I, you know, I hate to say this. Actually, I don't hate to say this. I'm going to be proud. I've always been more of a vanilla guy. Okay. Oh, me too. All right. All right. We are, we are vanilla as hell. But yeah, I always went vanilla frosting. Even saying that bored me to hear myself say it, but I just like vanilla, folks. What are you going to do about it? Why did, I was talking about this with a friend, uh, uh, like uh, over a month ago why is it that vanilla became like synonymous with bland i think vanilla is yeah. delicious maybe it's not about the taste maybe it's just because it's plain white and it's just like ugh, so 
so yeah, interesting looking and vanilla. Yeah, I didn't consider the uh, visual aspect of it because I love vanilla. I love vanilla cake, mm-hmm. uh, vanilla ice cream, uh, any anything vanilla is uh, vanilla in my coffee. It's excellent. You just chugged some extract yeah, before that's... we went live, so I know you're big into it. <laughs> that's expensive. Yeah, you, you just probably chugs like ten dollars. Isn't that a Mike Judge right movie? There. Extract isn't is that about vanilla? I can't remember. Or is it about something else? I don't know. It's a funny movie I though. I never heard of that. You never heard of uh, Extract, the Mike Judge movie? No, Extract. No, is that recent? No, it was like ugh, 15 years ago. It has uh, Jason Bateman in it and Ben Affleck and Myla Kunis. Oh. It's pretty good. It's very no. unsung. I don't think I've seen that. I'm looking it up now, and it is, in fact, uh, written and directed by Mike Judge. Have not seen this. Man, that imp- How dare you? The list. <laughs> well it came out in 2009 it's got jk simmons in it too so what's not the love wow it's got gene simmons <laughs> gene simmons jk simmons yeah no gene simmons and a jk oh, simmons oh it does have gene simmons in it you're right i thought you just heard me wrong yeah. i was like what the no. fuck <laughs> 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 yeah that's the the Pretty different people there, Gene Simmons and J.K. Yeah. I was like, J.K. Simmons, you're like, right, 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 Gene, they call him. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> Two different. J.K., a.k.a. Gene Simmons. <laughs> you know, everybody calls him that. Oh, yeah. That's wonderful. Oh, man. Yeah. Let's get into books. Yeah, we had, uh, you got two Stephen Kings listed here. One is Dolores uh, Dolores Claiborne. Yes. The other is Gerald's Game. I have heard of Dolores Claiborne. I know there was a movie based on it, but I have not heard of Gerald's Game. Right. So I just actually listened to these both uh, in an audiobook form not too long ago, like two months ago. And they were hmm. they're meant to be sort of companion pieces. Like they're kind of very loosely connected. You know how a lot of Stephen King oh. stuff is based in the Northeast, so it, some of it kind of centers on an, an eclipse that's taking place. The ah, the, yeah, the yeah. characters don't interact uh, well, ever so slightly. But um, Gerald's game is is kind of uh, it's interesting. It's about a woman who is uh, her and her husband are about to. To be kinky, he ties her up to the bed and then dies of a heart attack, and she's stuck there. <laughs> uh, that one's crazy. But Dolores Claiborne is the the audiobook is amazing because the woman who does the the narration for that her name is Frances Sternhagen. So if you don't know anything about Dolores Claiborne, whether you've seen the movie or not, uh, it is basically a a deposition, I guess, or um, it, it's a one sided conversation with. Dolores, who has committed a crime, and so it's just her talking, and so there's no. It's it's supposed to be just like a one-sided interview. Like she'll react to the people in the room, but you never hear them speak, and so it's almost like a one-act, like a one-act scene. But it's it's a huge book, and so this narrator is in character this entire time, and it is a it is incredible. I was so impressed with not huh. only the story but also her ability to maintain this character for. I don't know, 11 hours. <laughs> Pretty fascinating. Yeah, that's excellent. Is that really how long? I guess it's Stephen King, so yeah, it's going to be long. I, but... I bumped it up to like 1.5 speed, and it was still yeah. decent, you know, maybe seven or eight hours. Um, the Pelican Brief came out that year. If if some gri- Oh, man, that book was freaking everywhere. Grishamites everywhere. have to hear I... the name Pelican Brief. They love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that was his biggest book at that point. Mm. Um, Maybe because that was everywhere, and that got a movie almost immediately. The Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington 
like uh, I think it was the next year that that came out. So that's yeah, that was massive. Uh, also massive. Uh, 1992 was the debut of R.L. Stein's Goosebumps. Goosebumps, man, I love them Goosebumps, dude. Just the covers yeah, alone can get me moving across a flea yes. market. If I see, if I just see a little bit of a spine of one, I'm like, oh, let me go over and see what we got. I've actually amassed a pretty decent sized collection, only missing a handful of the original run. Love the Goosebumps books. What What are some of your your favorites? Do you recall any? Yeah, the one that really sticks out to me is um, when I think of Goosebumps, I think of Say Cheese and Die. Perfect. Yeah, uh, That's the one with the camera that can predict the future, I think. Yes. And it's really creepy because it like I remember there's a scene he takes a they go to a baseball game to watch their friend play and they take a picture and it shows him like on the ground with like a snap neck or something. And they're like, oh, what the hell's wrong with this camera? It must be broken. And sure enough, he he ends up like getting hit with a ball. Yes. And uh, it comes true. And that I was glued to that book. I wanted to know like what was going on, what how that happened. Speaking of which, speaking of Goosebumps, uh, did your school have book fairs? Yes, the Scholastic Book Fair. Yes, sir. Scholastic Book Fairs. That's how I got most of these Goosebumps books. They were so good, uh, especially early on. Um, they they were they hit just the right note. They mm-hmm. were just they were well written enough to to not be like hollow and they were they weren't too scary but they were still intriguing enough to like really dive into and that's one that really sticks out i'm trying to think of another one um uh i want to say there was one about a mask yeah the haunted mask really interesting Yeah. yeah i guess that would have been it i remember um that was like in the next line that was at, at at like the next book fair and that was the one everyone wanted oh wow um and I, re- I remember reading that one and that one was really good too you know my daughter she's only three she's not old enough to really read on her own but she got a scholastic yeah. book fair handout the other day and i was disappointed oh. not a single goosebumps in the whole thing but you know yeah. oh are you still gonna go to the book fair <laughs> <laughs> well it's different Using now it as an excuse they don't like set up booths they just like give you the catalog and tell you to go online and get them and then they'll they'll hand them out to your kids so it's not like a not like a physical book fair like we got to enjoy i actually, I got a ton of like posters as a kid from the scholastic book fair that's where i got my sweet mm. poster that has yes. aikman on one side that says long arm of the law and then on the other side it's emmett smith and it's the texas tornado it's a damn good poster oh nice I got one of Dion Sanders that said Neon Dion, mm. and it was him uh, uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. Right on. Um, yeah, I remember getting those. Those were awesome. Um, also, you just reminded me, I have a memory of being uh, uh, in grade school. This is probably before 92, but um, my elementary school had a program where if you read 25 books, you got a t-shirt. If you read 50 books, you got to be part of like an ice cream social um, and so I just like crank through as many books as I could. And so I would just go to the Scholastic Book Fair and I would pick out like these crappy biographies <laughs> of <laughs> pro athletes. It was like Joe Theismann, you know, or like Lawrence Taylor, uh, Jerry Rice. And they'd be like not even 100 pages long, you know, like 50 pages of just like. And then Jerry Rice got drafted to the 49ers, but he wasn't a superstar <laughs> right away. He eventually became the Super Bowl MVP when they beat Denver 55 to 10. The end. And it was just like the most boring, like dry stuff. But I loved it. I like soaked it all up because I loved taking in like sports knowledge and stuff like that. 
That's great. And the way you were supposed to report these books was to go to the librarian uh, at the uh, at our elementary school and do like a an oral report, like you know, for a couple minutes. And I remember uh, the librarian's name was Mrs. Frederick, and she was like, "This better not be another sports book, Alex." <laughs> and I was like, "This book is about Reggie White." He's the best defensive end in football. (laughs) (laughs) And she's just like, has her arms crossed and is like shaking her head at me. Like, you need to start reading real stuff. Like Hatchet by (laughs) Gary, what's his name? Remember that book? That book has the worst cover ever. Look at that cover for a minute and try to figure out what the fuck's going on. I know. I've always, (laughs) I've been saying that for years. Like, dude, if, if I had known that that book was as good as it was and it's a good book i maintain yeah but it's the 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 cover that i always saw was just that kid's face Mm -hmm. and he looks like he's smelling something you know he just cut one (laughs) smelling something really nasty and it's just like why would i read this this looks ridiculous yeah yeah now i'm with you we were forced to by the government to read it in school (laughs) for some reason yeah yeah, I think uh, Gary Paulson was his name. He's from Minnesota, if I remember correctly. So that was required reading mm. uh, for us, too. Interesting. Well, I got to circle back to Goosebumps real quick because yeah, yeah. I got to let everyone know, and Alex, you might, you might enjoy this, too, if you're looking to circle back into some nostalgia. But coming to the Polymedia Network, this is September. So next month, October, the month of the spooks, we're going to be dropping a Goosebumps podcast onto the network. It's going to be me again. Imagine that another podcast with Travis on it and my pal Dylan, who is my uh, my go to horror expert. We're going to be going through book by book. We're going to be doing a little uh, goof up, goof around a little bit. But we're gonna we're gonna get in depth on the on the plot. We're gonna have a lot of fun with it, and we've recorded a couple episodes so far. It's pretty fun, pretty fun. So uh, hopefully, folks will enjoy that when those come out very soon. That does sound really good. That's a good idea. Um, those books. Are pretty. Uh, do you think you'd end up doing something like First Fear Street, or any of the other popular miniseries back then for books? Yeah, we were talking about that. Like, if if it's successful and we uh, don't get burned yeah. out reading books and then doing a podcast on them, because you know that's a a bit of an experience. We might branch out and do some of that stuff. And plus, too, R.L. Stein's got uh, a couple of different. Like before he got into Goosebumps, he was writing some some other you know, sort of non-franchise-esque teen horror um, novels and books. And uh, so there's a lot of just R.L. Stein stuff alone we could get into that, that could be pretty interesting. Sweet. Yeah. If you had to take a guess how old R.L. Stein is, what would be? Oh, I guess you just wiki that guy. Uh, gosh. Yeah. 76? Oh, you're close. He's 78. Oh, dang. I would not have guessed that for some reason. I always thought of him as like a younger guy. Like I was like he had he has to be a younger guy because he writes such good stuff for a certain mm-hmm. age group. He's still pounding uh, them out too. Like yeah. Goosebumps books, he still has lines yeah. of the bumps coming out. I I watched an interview with him where he was talking about like how do you how do you make sure that you don't use the same like gag or gimmick or stuff like that? And he's like, Oh, I do it all the time. That's why I have editors. Like at this point, like <laughs> I'm repeating names and storylines and they're like, no, 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 no. You did this. And you did this 10 books ago. You have to come <laughs> up with it. And that, that made me laugh. Cause he's like, you he could tell he's like an old guy trying his best. And he's like, yeah, forget shit all the yeah. time. I'm just trying to scare people. I mean, come on. RL Stein can do it. Why can't, uh, uh george martin uh <laughs> right? whatever his name yeah. is like dude just get your editors on on the job and to keep you in check just write the last book already god gosh dang all right 
Uh, well, you know, while we're while we're in the uh, the young folks sort of uh, section of the show here, we talked about Goosebumps books. We've got to get into the toys a little bit because we're playing of with course. them. We're playing with them. And the the hot to- the hot toy of 1992 that I wanted more than anything else was the incredible Crash Dummies Crash Test Center. I had this weird infatuation with the freaking Crash Dummies. I wanted to watch the cartoon. I loved the commercials. I wanted the little toys. I wanted to see the cars smash into the walls. I was I never I never got any of it, but I wanted it real bad. Yeah. Well, it did have a certain appeal. Like they were sentient crash dummies and they all flew apart if i remember correctly Mm -hmm. uh my my friend uh down the road had some of this stuff i think or at least his little brothers did and i remember that was kind of the appeal was like yeah these guys like come apart and you can put them back together and that was kind of cool yeah well also there was uh and i just saw this commercial today when i was looking this stuff up hot wheels jet streaks i don't really remember this i had to go digging for some 1992 hot toy action but these look freaking cool as hell basically like like Hot Wheels little toys that you like shoot across the room. It, my mom would have never let me own these. I would have put out the dog's eye <laughs> and, and like knocked everything off the kitchen table. But I mean, they freaking yeah. looked awesome. I didn't know what these were until I, I had to look them up. And once I saw the the thing that you press down, like the big button, I was like, oh, those things. Because I'm pretty sure my friend, uh, or at least I knew somebody that had something like this. And you just... If you just freaking stomp on it as hard as you can, oh, the thing yeah. really goes flying. It's awesome. Yeah, you're right. That button is very familiar. Yeah. Hmm. My thing for toys was uh, for me was Legos, um, and I think around this time, probably earlier actually, uh, they did uh, uh, a series of like science fiction. I, I guess it's like just a sci-fi theme of uh, Blacktron was the name, and it was all these cool spaceships and tanks and stuff like that and then there was also mtron which were kind of their rivals so my my best friend down the road collected mtron and i collected blacktron and <laughs> legos weren't insanely expensive back then they were expensive but they weren't like they are now so they, i could get you know uh squeeze in a birthday and a christmas and get some stuff and build up my army so my friend and i would have like a huge war every once in a while with legos and We'd combine them and like build all sorts of stuff and secret rooms and all that. So that was a lot of fun. Nice. You know, by the way, Trev, yeah. uh, we uh, completely skipped gaming. Yeah, I was I was thinking like we were saving it for last. I thought that. Oh, okay. I mean, that's just what I thought. I wasn't going to say that we're doing anything wrong. You know, never our fault to skip anything. But uh, did we go through sports? Effectively, we oh no, we we skipped sports oh. too. I don't know why I went straight to music, but. Uh, yeah, we, we, let's touch on sports real quick. I'll I'll just go over the stats here. Yeah, uh, the T- Toronto Blue Jays broke through to win their first World Series over the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you had you had Bama destroying Miami, Miami, Miami. in uh, the national championship game for college football. The Bulls repeated against the Blazers. Of course, that was the famous famous shrug game with uh, Michael Jordan shrugging after hitting. Get used to hearing Bulls repeated uh, for the next few episodes. Yep. And uh, Pittsburgh Penguins repeated over the Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, how about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys? Woo! Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I was yeah. a, I was a fan already, so you can't call me bandwagoner. I already have my poster. I was rocking it. I love the Cowboys until about uh, 2013. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, there are a lot of Cowboys fans down here and. New Mexico, and they are very frustrated and sick of 
all this stuff. Um, I also want to give a special shout out to um, the woman that became the first player, the first woman to play in the National Hockey League. Uh, it was in a preseason game. First woman to ever play in the Big Four uh, for pro sports. Manon Rayum. I think I'm saying that right. But I just remember seeing that. She was a goaltender for the in the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, farm team, basically. And I remember she had her own card. I can't remember which set it was, but that card, like if you can get that, that was like the holy grail of, of sports cards for me. And that leads me to uh, baseball cards and sports cards and stuff like that. Um, I was really, really like probably way too into uh, sports cards and particular baseball cards it was it was a fascinating time because we me and my friends from grade school this would have been fourth grade for me we treated uh the beckett price guides like they were like we were reading the stock ticker (laughs) yeah dude i remember that too yes yeah what my favorite part of collecting baseball cards was um you kind of it kind of went without saying that you had to pick your own player uh to kind of get behind and every other kid picked Either the Big Hurt, Frank Thomas, or Ken Griffey Jr. Yep. Those were the coolest players. Absolutely. I picked Jeff Bagwell. He was Rookie of the Year in 1991. The guy was so underrated. He did everything well. He was a good fielder, good base runner, hit home runs, hit for average. He's on a good team with the Astros. And sure enough, it paid off. He won the MVP in 94. Uh, had a great season. He's in the Hall of Fame now. I I still, to this day, have uh, like over 100 Jeff Bagwell cards. I have all his rookies and stuff like that. So that's that was good times. That's uh, I I hope to do a video about like baseball cards, why the hype or something like yeah. that. One of these days, man, that would be uh, a lot of fun to make. Um, I just don't know what I'd do for video outside of me just like thumbing through cards in my hands. That would be kind of boring. I don't know, man. In that charity stream, it was a lot of fun. There was even a Jeff Jeff Bagwell moment that was quite hilarious. So oh I mean, yeah, you could pull it yeah. off. You could pull he it off. Do it. Yeah, his uh uh studio card where he's he looks ridiculous with his feathered hair. Um, Real cutie patootie in that card for sure. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to gaming though. Let's do it. Uh, so let's let's move to the N- the NES. I think is it's fascinating. The NES was still stubbornly kicking around and putting out good stuff. Yeah, putting out great stuff. You had Mega Man four and five and in the same five. Year, wow, which is crazy. Yeah, Ninja Turtles three, which is a massively underrated game. So underrated, it's so good. It's long as hell too. Like that beat 'em up yeah. for the NES will take yeah. you like a full hour if you're doing pretty good. Yeah, that's really its only flaw is that it gets kind of monotonous. <laughs> that's after true. All, but yeah, it, it's a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also Wizards and Warriors three for NES, and I really want to like that game. It's really ambitious. It tries to do almost like an open world kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's really cool, but it's just ugh, it's way too limited and flawed and stuff like that. Yeah. Still, I think it's worth checking out. It's a bastard. <laughs> There's also Little Samson, that uh, that little uh, pesky little cartridge <laughs> that's been eluding your collection. Yes, that no one knew about or cared about at the time. Exactly. Nobody gave a crap. No. And uh, one of my favorite NES games might actually be a top five NES game. Mm -hmm. Probably not, but definitely top 10. Gargoyles Quest 2. I love that game. We'd have to go back to listen to our top 13 NES games episode to see if we're still true to what Mm. we thought back then. I'm pretty sure we both brought it. We both brought it, but uh, that, that game is great. It really is. 
Um, and I wish Demon's Crest was half as good as that. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then in addition to that, we have uh, Super Nintendo stuff. I can remember renting Contra 3 shortly after that came out. That was uh, a- another instance just to harp, you know, go back to what I was talking about in the 1991 episode. You know, it was one of those experiences where I could feel like new brain pathways like opening <laughs> up because it's it, when you get to the third level. Is that the top-down level? No, the top-down level is the second level. Okay. Uh, the third level is when uh, you run to the right, you kill these like weird human bug things with a flamethrower. Then you start climbing this wall, and this robot android thing starts flipping around and lands around you um. and starts climbing the wall up with you. And that was when I was like... Uh, just I, there were no words like I was just gobs you know just j- my jaw was on the floor like this is the coolest game I've ever seen in my life so it holds I up to that like game. that's like that those moments those little cutscenes are still like pretty jarring they're pretty good oh yeah it's just a series of mini bosses and yeah. it's so good uh it's just one after another after another um turtles in time was another game in 92 Heck yeah! Uh, so just just feel free to stop me if you remember any other games for <laughs> any of these system, systems. Uh, Street Fighter Two got its first uh, home console. We we waited till uh, Street Fighter Two Turbo came out to right. get to bite the bullet and get. Me and my brother had to split our money. That cartridge was seventy dollars. Holy shit! Uh, so we each had to pony up thirty five to get that. What's interesting to me is the Super Scope came out in ninety two. That is much earlier than I remember. Oh wow! Yeah. I still so, don't have. A, I've never even put fingers on a super scope. Really? Well, you're not missing that much, but <laughs> it was cool at the time, just because it was a big freaking bazooka thing that you, you know, shoulder-mounted plastic bazooka. I thought it was cool. Yeah. I mean, you just you did. Uh, it was about six months ago. You did your super scope uh, block that was of like games two years ago. Was that two years? We were doing a podcast when you broke it out. It was. It was a long ass time ago. I went to uh, a buddy's house and basically just cranked through everything all all the uh super scope games uh like bazooka blitzkrieg mm-hmm. um you kind of sold me on yoshi safari i kind of wanted to play it yoshi safari was was the biggest surprise that was pro that and metal falcon i think it's called it were the best of the bunch those were legitimately fun um of course uh what the heck is that game called battle clash is um another game that has like tons of awesome pixel art and stuff like that mm-hmm. um yeah that was back in june of 2021 so it was just over a year ago i thought it was longer ha i ended up recording like five videos worth of footage in just one afternoon that was cool <laughs> uh, i had a lot of fun doing that nice man well you know super mario kart also came out in 1992 and that would yeah. be the first super nintendo game that i can remember playing and it was at a um at our hairdresser's house she had a she had a daughter that was a year younger than me my hairdresser like worked out of her house so my dad mm-hmm. would go first or i it didn't matter who went first but when when one of us was getting our haircut i was in the back playing some video games with this girl and she was like have you ever played a super nintendo and i was like gosh no you guys must be rich or something I was like, she's like, I'm playing Mario Kart. Do you want to play? And she handed me the controller. I had no idea what to do with it because it was like six more buttons than I had at home with the NES. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. What do you yeah. do? Which button does which? But th- yeah. I, that memory is cemented in my brain of like, what? 
Look at yeah. this game. Oh my god, this is incredible. Isn't it insane that that quaint little game ends up spawning like this huge franchise? <laughs> right. And uh just earlier uh the other day I was playing Mario Kart uh, 8 on Nintendo Switch and that was I've not quite at the point where I've got, I got 3 stars for all every race yet, but I'm on my way there. It's 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 funny going back to the Super Nintendo version because uh it really is it hand everything handles differently. It's it's I'm not sure if it's aged well or not is what I'm trying to say. It's kind of, yeah, you can't deny its influence, but it's a little rough around the edges, especially based on how the the series has uh progressed through over the years. Yeah, yeah. Pretty insane. Crazy for the time too. Yeah. And then there's the Sega Genesis, your your nemesis, the Sega Nemesis. And uh, good old Sonic 2 came out in 1992. I played so much Sonic 2, dude, I could probably draw the whole game. Like, if I ever get, <laughs> if I ever go to prison, I will spend most of my time just drawing all of the all of the Sonic 2 levels in my cell. I'll be happy for years. Map the whole thing out. That's something I do if I'm ever, like, on a plane and I'm I, I'm stuck... You know, it's like, oh, there's a delay or I'm, I'm like waiting in an airport. There's two things I, I do. One is I try and name like every award winner for every sport uh, or even every like champion of every sport and by year. And I like make lists and I'm like, OK, who won the 2007 national championship? I have I think it was LSU. I have no idea. Who do they beat? I Maybe Alabama. I don't know. <laughs> so, so I just like go You're through like so every far. year. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also try and like redraw maps of like games I've played a thousand times, like uh, Star Fox, uh, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, just all. How do you draw a map of Star Fox? Oh, I just I uh, do it from like a top down perspective. Oh. Like, OK, first you go here, you run into this guy and then like the space model level where you fly into those little pod things i guess you would call them and then you blow up the energy source and fly through yeah it's i, I i'm a weirdo Maybe, I know, no but, wonder uh, you have the brain like a still trap mind for things you're over there <laughs> just concreting it all in with your lists and maps yeah back when i used to work on main campus uh you know what they used to have me just like well, you need to stay here because that's what you do. You know, you you sit at a desk and do nothing after your work is all done. And so I would just be like, you know, draw maps of video games and come up with you know stuff like that if I don't feel like doing anything else. But yeah, that's always been like my big boredom tactic yeah. to uh, stave off boredom. Well, it was the year of the sequel for the Genesis because then you had Streets of Rage two and Golden Axe two. Yeah, so much too. Echo the Dolphin. Yeah. Too hard. I thought it was like a port of free willy or something. Like, why Why is it so hard? <laughs> Echo the Dolphin was a big deal. It was kind of... I didn't realize this at the time, but uh, now I know that it was almost like Sega's answer to Metroid. Oh, where yeah. Where it's okay. this mysterious, weird, you know, atmospheric kind of a deal where you explore everywhere. Although Echo goes a little too far. It's It's kind of... I don't know what the heck is supposed to be happening in the story half the time. It makes no sense, but yeah, it's, it was a, a major deal at the time. It was supposed to be like this big artistic game that uh, Nintendo couldn't possibly match. So I always, I always thought it was interesting. Yeah. I'm more of an echo junior kind of guy. 
Mm, a little easier. Uh, and then uh, Kid <laughs> Kid Chameleon. Maybe uh, is it the best video game cover? Uh, oh uh, yeah, on the Sega Genesis. It's at the, the least? best. It's the best '90s video it's game cover so, ever. Yeah, that's a '90s ass cover, man. Yeah, absolutely. Damn, good stuff. Then you got your old TurboGrafx 16 with Air Zonk, Gates of Thunder, and I had to throw in Jack Nicholas Turbo Golf. Of course, because yeah. Jack Nicholas is like this dumpy looking older guy. <laughs> playing golf <laughs> turbo is the last thing that comes to mind when you think Jack Nicholas. <laughs> so i thought that was funny yeah man game boy i don't know i still don't think i had a game boy then it was it was maybe 93 i got the game boy so in 92 i hadn't yeah. played any of these as of yet but i do remember kirby's dreamland being a popular one amongst my age group probably because it was a, a beatable uh, game yeah but uh that made me want a game boy so bad my best friend had kirby's dreamland i had sat beside him on the bus and was like can i play can i play can i play? never would let me play but i made me it made me really want a game boy and some kirby i know that son of a bitch uh <laughs> we were best men in each other's wedding so we forgive yeah. him but still yeah and super mario land 2 we know uh, our friend captain drachma loves that game uh and that's Really, the leap from Mario Land to Mario Land 2 was awesome, so that was game was a big deal. I personally had uh, WWF Superstars 2 WWF, uh, yep. WWF, and the reason I remember that game the most, or two reasons. One is that there was a steel cage mode, so you could spend like an hour just ramming somebody into the side of the cage, which was hilarious <laughs> and awesome. What was the, Do you remember the sound effect? I bet the sound effect was cool. Uh, it was uh, no, it was Game Boy. It was oh. just like you know, just some like <laughs> wet fart sound. Uh, okay, but an- another thing I thought was really funny was not only was the Mountie on the cover, he was in the game. <laughs> and Imagine like, that. I remember, th- I remember thinking like, who in the heck would ever think it's cool to play as the Mountie? Like that's that's the dumbest character to include in a game. So every time. I played the, if if I was ever just like in the car, like on a drive somewhere, and bored. I had my Game Boy with me. I would just pick like Undertaker or Macho Man or whoever, and I'd kick the crap out of the Mountie for like oh, for like an hour. All of our Canadian just, listeners I, were like, "You had us with hockey, but now you've taken it too far." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Mountie was such a lame character. Oh. <laughs> Especially for a video game, uh, a wrestling video game. I guess you always need a guy that you need to kick the crap out of. So oh, yeah, you got he to. filled that role very well. That was your jobber. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think we 1992, and I think we did it pretty dang hard. I think we nailed it. Yeah, I agree. That's a lot of 1992 right there. Hey there, Polymedia family. This is Kevin, and I'm here to tell you about the brand new podcast, Uncle Doug's DVD Bin. Now, I know what you're thinking. What the heck is an Uncle Doug? Well, Uncle Doug gave Trap and myself a massive bin of DVDs that we draw your favorite movies from to give you some facts, the plot, and a whole pile of jokes. We're talking Dirty Dancing to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Best part? It's available wherever you get your podcasts. So give us a download, a listen, a subscribe, and if you're feeling five-star, heck, give us a rating. And just like our Uncle Doug always says, we got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Uh, let's move, move into some emails. We got a nice one from Merritt. 
Hello, Merit. Hello. And she wants to know about Amiga games. And she says, hi, Trav and Alex. I was wondering if either of you has much experience with the Amiga or other European consoles or computers. There seems to be a distinct Amiga aesthetic, as Alex has pointed out on his videos on Amiga ports. But European 80s and 90s stuff is kind of a blind spot for me. And I don't know if there's anything worth seeking out that goes beyond the garish, bouncy platformer vibe. <laughs> Best merit. And that basically sums it up. Garish, bouncy platformer vibe. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say, I just want to say real quickly about um, European consoles and computers. Uh, there is a great, great book. I've talked about it on this podcast before. It's called Replay, uh, written by Tristan Donovan. Yeah. And he goes into the specifics of uh, the scene over there throughout the 90s as the video game industry developed, not just in Europe in general, but in each individual country. Like Spain had their own style of game. England had their own style of game. France had their own style of game. It's fascinating to read. For instance, France really... uh, The people that made games uh, that uh, were French... Uh, really got into like serious themes that had to do with like murder and rape and stuff like that. Uh, they were text adventures usually. Um, whereas English made games often had like fart jokes and Monty Python type stuff and, you know, right. the, uh, uh, garish bouncy platformers basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> Spain had their own deal. Uh, Russia had their own deal. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to read about. Um, that's really my only exposure uh, so far, I, I will say there is one game that I really, really like uh, from the late 80s uh, that was made in France by, I think, with just one guy. One guy did the music, um, or I should say one relatively famous musician did the music. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, he was like evangelist type guy. But uh, the game is called Captain Blood. And the whole idea is that you're supposed to learn a language and infiltrate into an alien culture. You have to learn their language and then become kind of like a secret agent within this culture to obtain certain information and rescue somebody or something like that. It is so out there and so strange and so detailed though. Like this guy, whoever made this game did not half-ass anything. It is a really, really intense and interesting game. Uh, And I... I can't remember. I think it was a Commodore 64 game, but uh, it's fascinating to play because there's nothing else like it. Um, wow. It's, it's, I think it's really fascinating to see that each country had their own scene, so to speak, yeah, kind of yeah. like music. So, yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. I highly recommend that book, though, if you, if you want to know more about how each scene developed it's a really good resource for that yeah i can uh, i can second that i read it based off your recommendation and it is very fascinating to hear about the different um influences from around the world in gaming pretty cool i uh i didn't have an answer for you merit so uh because i haven't played a lot of as alex calls them amiga ass games but i did look <laughs> at a list of exclusive amiga ass ga- or exclusive amiga games um they all happen to be amiga ass and I found some titles that I wanted to share with you. Uh, I don't know if you'll dig any of these, but there is a uh, a multi-directional shooter called Fly Harder, which sounds like Whoa. sounds aggressively trying to like get you to be better at the game. Fly harder at this game. Uh, we're starting off light. We get better. Uh, there's one called uh, Pioneer Plague, 
it sounds like a knockoff of Oregon Trail. I agree. It's not. But Pioneer <laughs> Plague. Um, there's Dr. Plummet's House of Flux, which sounds like the name of a hip-hop album from 1992, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what it is, to be honest with you. Uh, there's Mr. Nuts Hoppin' Mad. I think we can all put oh, together. Oh, that came out for Super is. Nintendo. Yeah, I don't. I I would assume that this version is different somehow. Um, I don't know how. I think maybe the one that was ported over to the others was actually a port of Mister Nuts Two. So for splitting hairs, for splitting squirrel hairs. Um, but this is yeah. this one's hopping mad on the Amiga, Mister <laughs> Nuts. Got to say, you got to. You have to say nuts just like that, too, yeah. Nuts. Mr. Nuts. Uh, And then the last one I wanted to share here with you is it's a little platformer, and it's called Crazy Sue Goes On, which is actually the sequel to just Crazy Sue. So there's Crazy Sue, and then there's Crazy Sue Goes On. Uh, and it's just, it's a platformer with a little girl as the sprite, and honestly, the, the little sprite of the little girl is, looks very adorable. I imagine the game is terrible, but thought I'd share <laughs> that one. So Crazy Sue Goes On. You know, I make fun of the Amiga a lot because it's it's got a very distinct look and feel and sound to it. You know, uh, most of the games always have that ugly interface that takes up, oh, like, yeah. you know, an eighth of the screen or whatever. But there are some good stuff. I, uh, there are some good games. Um, I do have a series of videos that I really, really like to do called uh, Good Games in Unexpected Places. Mm-hmm. And I found some good Amiga stuff. One I really like is called Rough and Tumble. Yeah, and saw that, that on game the list. Is for Amiga. Uh, it's a pretty dang good run and gun game, uh, exploration Turrican Contra type game. And then there's another one called Yo Jo that uh, is not obviously not uh, calling reference to GI Joe in any way whatsoever. But it's uh, that's another really good one too. Uh, those are the two that pop into my head for. Amiga ass games. Right on. All right. Well, you have you have a list of legitimate recommendations from Alex and some fun names from me. So we did, we did <laughs> what we could for the Amiga tonight. Yes. Uh, hopefully that was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully so. Thank you for the email, Merritt. Always great to hear from you. Next, we have questions about beer from Mike Wilson or Mike Wilbon, as Alex likes to mistake. Wilbon. Oh, Mike Wilson. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We've been through this. Uh, He says, hey there. I heard you guys were scraping the bottom of the barrel for some emails, so I figured I'd reach out with some questions about beer. What is the worst tasting beer you have drank? Alex, what's the worst tasting beer you have drank? Oh, probably Keystone. Keystone. If I had to guess. Yeah. Keystone is is as bad as it is just without flavor uh, totally. Um, Yeah. I had a beer uh, recently at a buddy's house, and I like Sierra Nevada most of the time, but this was Sierra Nevada's Summerfest. Not great. Oh, yeah. I don't like most of the summer beers. Even I used to like Liney's uh, Summer Shandy, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a big Midwestern beer, but yeah, I've kind of soured on that over the years. Most summer stuff is just, eh, not, not. I don't blame you for that one. That one's, uh, I agree. It was weirdly fruity. It tasted like, I don't know cold porter potty runoff or something i don't know it wasn't great <laughs> uh number two what do you think about the mix a six-pack concept do you favor it over buying a regular six-pack or do you even have the option where you guys live yeah we got the option here yeah. um i do it sometimes i used to do it all the time because uh when i first moved to new mexico i wanted to just try everything 
So I did that for like a year mm-hmm. uh, at least. Uh, now now I just kind of lean into what I like. But yeah, as far as like just getting familiar with a certain area or just trying something new, I like doing that. Yeah, same so what here. About you? Yeah, we do that here. I love sampling. We got a few. I don't know what you call them, like little beer emporiums type places where it's just tons yeah. of tons of beers that you've never heard of or seen before. And I like to go through there and sample it all. The problem with that though is I never remember what I like. I'll get six and then I'll drink six and be like, there was, was it the fourth one or maybe the third one I really liked? Man, I never remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm not like that you, Alex. I don't, I don't chart it all out in spreadsheets and <laughs> draw maps. What are you talking about? You do just as many spreadsheets as I do. I know. I'm just trying. You probably to... like them more than I do, too. I'm sorry, God. I'm just trying to back the bus over somebody but myself. Okay. <laughs> uh, number three, what is the last beer you drink? My guess is Alex drank a Stone IPA. Fun fact, it served at Disney World. That is a fun fact. It is a fun fact. Is that the last beer you and drink? Yes. Uh, I have one to my left right now. <laughs> no joke. It nice. is right next to me. Nice. Good job, Mike. You nailed it. Uh, last beer I drank was a Sierra Nevada Summerfest, and I didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> true story. You know, Sierra Nevada does have some good stuff. I did go on a big kick of their stuff for a while. Uh, I can't remember which exactly, but yeah. not to slag on Sierra Nevada. No, yeah, absolutely they do have not. some good stuff. Yeah, I always yeah. get their... Um, they're a little sampler 12 pack or whatever. And, and just, sure. they're not all, sometimes they're not all hits, but um, yeah, I like, you know, 95% of the time I'm a Sierra Nevada fan. Uh, he says, thank you both for taking the time to read my email. Cheers. Sincerely, Mike. Cheers to you, Mike. Thanks as always for reaching Cheers, out. Cheers, Mike Wilbon. Mike Wilbon. Happy holidays, whatever, uh, whatever's close. Yeah. yeah happy holidays. Uh, then we've got uh, another email from your friend, uh, from your friend Trav, Joush. Is this my friend? All right. Yeah, because you love his name. His name is Joush. Oh, that's Lopez. right. I do. I do quite like that name. Yes, Joush. Joush. So yeah. we got. Uh, hey, he's. I mean, he's clearly friendly with us because he. The subject of his email is "What's up? I'm back, y'all." <laughs> Which I love. It's like whoa. I love okay. when someone enters a room saying that, and I'm not even being facetious. If someone says that, I'm like, oh, who's the fun guy that showed up? Maybe we can play video games or yard games. I'll get croquet out. <laughs> Let's get croquet. Get some cornhole. Get get some darts. Josh Let's is go. here. All right. Josh. I'm excited. Let's hear it. He said. He says, "Hey, drunk friends. Recently, I've noticed a rise in handheld emulator devices like the Retro Pocket Two." that are able to run 5th and 6th generation console games pretty well. I think devices like that are cool, but as someone who is largely a console gamer with a decent-ish collection of physical games, I wish there were more options to take my actual games on the go. I have a Hyperkin Superboy S, and it's pretty awesome to be able to bring my SNES and Super Famicom cartridges with me to work on or on road trips. If the two of you could each invent a similar device for a console of your choice, which would you choose? I think I'd choose the PS1 so I could get in some RPG-level grinding whenever possible. That's a good point. Thanks for eventually reading this. <laughs> Joush, Lopez. All right, Joush. Well, happy Labor Day. You know, we hit we hit a holiday pretty close. That's true. Labor Day. I forgot about that, yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I actually I have a, uh, a portable NES thingy. That's not too bad. I think it's also made by Hyperkin. I think it's called the FC Twin 2, and I might have just made that up completely. But it's pretty decent. The problem with it is it's a it's a it's such a snug fit for my cartridges. I would almost have to put my foot on it to pull my games back out of it. 
but yeah, uh, it plays pretty well. Like the buttons feel okay. Like it's not as good as as the NES, obviously, but um, mm. it's still decent enough. The screen looks decent enough. Uh, I don't play it really, but when I got it at the time, it was kind of neat. But you know, I hate to steal his answer because. I do that a lot. I just steal the emailer's answer. But man, having having uh, being able to play some of those PS1 RPGs just anywhere, almost like I treat my Switch, where I can just kind of pick it up and go and set it down and, and be grinding always with like Dragon Quest Eleven or something. I'd love to be able to do that with uh, mm. with some of my PS1 games. So I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your answer, Josh. Yeah, um, I hear you on that. I think with when I when it comes to cartridges, like NES cartridges, SNES cartridges, that's probably what I have the most of in terms of carts. Um, I'm cool with them just staying as not portable. I don't need those to be... If I need portable, I'll do emulation, uh, which I'm sure I'll be able to do with the analog pocket sooner rather than later. Mm, yeah. Um, or I can hack, you know, a 3DS or I can hack whatever. Um, you know, I, I can get a Vita and hack that and play arcade ROMs on top of that, so... I'd rather just do emulation. I don't really need like I use my cartridges enough at home, so it's I don't really need those to be on the go. But uh, sorry to be lame, but I think I'd also choose PS One. Actually, I'd choose PS One Dreamcast, like that generation of, yeah. of stuff. Um, would be pretty cool because a lot of the games that i want to get into uh are pretty damn long and uh, <laughs> right, yeah. i remember playing skies of arcadia a few years ago um and that was like a 30 minutes put down then a few days later 30 minutes put down been nice it would have been nice to be able to play that uh uh portable uh same with you know games like lunar uh, you know the RPG stuff. That's a, that's a good call. Good email by uh, Joush. By Joush. You know what would uh, one that would be easy? And it, I guess actually I think it might ex- even exist. Isn't there a, like a portable Turbo Graphics? Because those cards are so small that it almost makes it almost seems like know. they would be. I know there's they did the uh, Turbo Graphics uh, classic thing. I don't think there's a portable one. Oh yeah, the Turbo Express. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that exists. Oh yeah, you're talking that that was released like way back. Yeah, in the day. that's what I'm saying. Like I, I yeah. ba- had to backtrack. It's like I think it might exist, but I mean, it looks like one of those. Like now, the Turbo Express looks like one of those fishing games that were popular at the end of the '90s. Uh, right. Like it, it's shaped like it would be not the most <laughs> comfortable thing to hold. But I don't know. I feel like that that would be conducive since the cards are small. It wouldn't be like a big unwieldy device. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, I think that's going to wrap us up for episode 92 and episode 1992. I'm really enjoying these. Yeah. these are. I'm really enjoying these, just coming up with these lists of all the stuff. Um, I thought we would be repeating too much stuff from 91, but each of these years is pretty distinct it's pretty pretty awesome to to take a look yeah absolutely i'm I'm actually a little bit sad we didn't start like an 87 <laughs> episode 87 and <laughs> do some of these that yeah yeah but you know maybe maybe at episode 187 we'll have to wait a few years but uh all right folks well that's going to be uh that's going to be it for this episode make sure to head on over to polymedianetwork.com check out the rest of the shows we got over there tales of the lesser medium polykill of course uh, Uncle Doug's DVD bin, Andy Quest, uh, Goosebumps podcast one day soon. Uh, and please be sure to, to send an email to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can do that at drunkfriendpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. And if you're not interested in sending us an email, it's not a big deal at all. Just give us a rating and review on a podcast app of your choice. That'll help us out big time. And not only that, 
You can rate on Spotify right now. Do it. You can find us all on social media. I'm on Twitter at DraftPlaysGames. Alex, he's at SNESDrunk. That's right. And the track you hear was composed by our friend Coolor and is called Electric Starbounce. You can find a link to more of his music on the Buzzsprout podcast page. And a shout out to Josh Leslie for our thirst quenching logo. And be sure to catch us all on YouTube. And thanks for listening. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. I did it. You no screw up. Wow. Yeah. 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 All right. Ooh. Now we got to rewrite it. Ah. Uh. Thank <laughs> you.